Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cheryl and staff, and welcome to First City. So, thank you for being here. Spring has officially started, right? And so it's like, yay, we finally have <laughs> a good golf course clap for spring. Nice cut, spring, right? Are you excited that things are finally getting warmer? Yeah, so this is the wonderful time of the year where the flowers start coming out there and blossom and pollen gets all over your car and your windows and you're washing them down every week. It's just a wonderful you know, time. And so, uh, so uh, this is a, it's a good time of the year. I love spring and uh, just watching things come back alive. And, and, uh, and so it's a beautiful time. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. We've got to get into Philippians four. Paul is at the very end of his message and he piles on so much stuff in the last chapter. I've tried to narrow it down to just a couple of things. But Paul will say, this one thing, and then typical Paul, he lists like 40 things. And so I'm going to cover a lot of different points, but I'm going to try to narrow it down as much as I can. So before we get into that message, two or three things. One, uh, we started this ministry called Lift. And so if you're brand new to First City, we, we several years ago made a decision. We were asking, uh, should we focus on being a healthy church or should we focus on creating a healthy community? To create a healthy community, we have to be a healthy church. And so we said it would not do us any good to come in and really be a good church in a community that is suffering. God has called us to do something in the community with his name and for his glory. And we thought, okay, so there are a lot of pockets of pain all over the city. Where are we going to get started? Because we don't have the resources or time to do everything. And we decided to get involved in foster care. And this is where Lyft came in. So Lyft is the name of the ministry for impacting foster care. And so we got a team of people, about four, five, six people together. And we said, what are we going to do? How can we do it? How are we going to go about it? And we had four or five families who were already fostering children. And we thought, what would it be like if we could really run after this and help the city to embrace transforming what's happening to these hurt, abandoned children who are being removed from homes, rescuing them in the name of Jesus. And so we started pursuing it with everything that we had. And here's an update. I just want to let you know, it's, we've been doing this now for two months. So we just started at the end of January, 1st of February. And already we've gone from five to nine families now fostering or those who have almost finished their certification. So we've almost doubled the name of families just in our church who are also fostering and running after children. Now my sister, my, I'm sorry, my wife's sister, Cindy, who lives in Orlando, was telling different people what we were doing. And there's one family who's also said, you know what, I really want to support that. We want to start doing this in our own family and so other people outside of our church and even outside of our city are hearing about what you're doing and what we're doing and jumping in and getting involved. And so there's no telling how far God is going to reach and expand your influence in this area. Number two, we've moved from those, that handful of six people to now over 70 of you are already signed up and are serving in foster care, cutting hair, cutting grass, 
uh, babysitting, delivering furniture, or delivering food, or, or doing all kinds of things to serve these families who are fostering children. So thank you for all of that. Number three, over $15,000 outside of our budget has been giving into Lyft. And so people from outside of our city who heard about it have donated. Uh, you have donated. People have just been giving money, you know. And so if you're wondering, man, is Lyft going to have enough money? Is it going to be funded? The answer is yes. In fact, God promised if you go do something in my name, I will fund it for you. Thank you for your generosity. And all those people who may be listening to this message outside of our city, outside of this church, who have sent us these checks just because you want to help provide care for these families and for these children. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then finally, this last one is really kind of exciting. There's an organization called Foster Florida. It's a statewide organization. And they're already in other cities. They heard about what we were doing in this area. They're coming into this area and they heard about you. They heard about what you're doing. They heard about the experience that we had on that Wednesday night upstairs where we signed people up and walked people through. What is it like to be a child going into foster care? And they said, we want to learn everything we can about that. Can you send us everything that you did? We want to start doing the same thing. And they've invited us to participate with them, even to partner with them. And we're in prayer about it because we want to take our time to make a decision like that. But neither one of us want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to have two different organizations trying to accomplish the same thing. We want to figure out how can we all work together to impact foster care in our city. But now God is expanding our vision to cover all of the state. And this is why it's important because they're hurting children all over the state. And people are wanting to learn what, what we're doing. We're wanting to learn what they're doing and all work together and once we have you know, all of these people working together, we now have the power to influence legislation over what the state is doing to make sure that we're covering these children, supporting them, helping them find life in the name of Jesus. That, to me, is amazing. And so God is expanding your influence, and I don't know how far it's going to go, but to God be the glory. And you deserve just some praise for it. Would you just... Say thank you to God and thank you to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're part of something and it's amazing and it's important. And we're going to rescue these children. God said you're not going to get, ever get involved in anything more noble, more worthy, more close to the heart of God than running after widows and orphans. And I'm telling you, just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's just amazing. Now, over the next two or three weeks, this is the last week in the book of Philippians. Next week, we're going to have a, a, a Sunday of just worship. So come prepared next week to meet with God. Bring somebody with you. We're going to have songs and, and worship, communion, scripture reading, prayer. We're just going to, for that whole hour, just chase after God, tell him thank you, and just worship his name. It's going to be a wonderful event. We call it Encounter Fifth Sunday, Encounters with God. Uh, then our Easter series begins, and we're calling it Alive. And, and we're, we're, as we were just talking about it in a circle, we were like, you know, some people feel barely alive. Or others feel like finances and problems are just burying them alive. But we want people to be fully alive. And so in those three weeks, we're going to talk about it. And then on Easter, we want to have a Baptism Sunday. So if you know somebody and you know they've never been baptized... 
or they've never begun a walk with God. Man, we want to have 40, 50 or more baptisms on that day. And in both of our services, we're just going, we're going to do them outside. We're going to make it fun. It's going to be a great day of celebration. And we want you to invite as many people as possible. Taryn talked about it. We have these cards. Now, listen, you heard Taryn say, I don't know how many cards we ordered. And, uh, and I don't know how many cards we ordered. But Savannah, are you in here? Is Savannah in here? She's not. Savannah knows everything. And she's probably in the office. I believe we ordered 5,000. Oh, is that Amy? Amy is the next person who knows everything. We ordered four. Okay, look around you. There are plenty of cards for everybody. Amen? So 4,000 cards and they're dated. Right, Amy? So after Easter, these cards cannot be used, right? Right? You're giving me a thumbs up. Is that right? Say it out loud so everybody can hear you. So, so because Amy knows everything. So, these cards have to be used between now and Easter. And this is what I want you to do: invite as many people as you can. Now, now, now. Here's the thing. I got this from my dad. Remember, I was telling you, and Leland and Amy and Savannah and Taryn, all this group, these people all got together and like, we want to just blitz the whole town. We want to proactively go and just invite God into everybody's life. And when I got that sweater vest from my dad and I reached in the pocket and I felt those six ink pens. And I keep one of them in my truck with me just to, you know, remind me. And it just had the name and number in the church and all that kind of stuff. And then because we care. And, and he, every day he took that many pens and he's ordering more and more because he's just wanting to invite all these people into a relationship with God. Now my dad's in heaven. You know, for the last two weeks, I can't believe it's been over two weeks now. And so he's just celebrating in heaven. My mom has been a quiet supporter of my dad all his life. Uh, ever since they got married 60 years, she just, from her home, it just real quietly, just supported, strongly supported my dad and set him free to chase after God and, and lead as many people to the Lord as possible. But now that he's in heaven... Guess what my mom has been doing? And last night, Suzanne and I were talking to her. We had her on speakerphone. And she said, I'm so excited. She's been inviting people into these Bible studies. This new couple started a Bible study with me. And she got to do the Bible study. Instead of just quietly listening to dad, she revealed her heart and she was like, wasn't she Suzanne? For 10 minutes, it was so good. And we just talked about Jesus and what he did in his life and how he set us free. And I'm like, mom, you're just, look at you, right? And, and I don't know, maybe she's never seen herself just boldly run after, but she's doing it now. What about you? Maybe you've never, ever invited someone to church. Maybe you've never been so bold as to hand them an ink pen. But we've got 4,000 cards that just say, we'd love you to join us on Easter. We'd love you to join us on Easter and come alive on that day. And so when you go to Krispy Kreme, hand one of those cards. When you go to the gas station, hand one of those cards. When you're sitting at lunch or breakfast or dinner, hand a card. Instead of talking about how cold the food is... Warm them up by inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. And let's just see what God will do with all the invitation and opportunities. Amen?
4,000 cards. So let's just go blitz this place and invite people into a relationship with Jesus. I tell you, on Easter, the whole message of Easter is that life can come from death. Today's message is this. Within two to five years after Paul wrote this letter of Philippians, they started being persecuted and killed because of their faith. And so historians record that if this was written in around 62 A.D., around 64, 65 A.D., persecution started for Christians in the area. And they knew the political climate was turning against them. Paul knew it because he wrote the letter to encourage them. Just like we know in America today, the political climate is turning. It's like there's no respect anywhere. It's like people want to say whatever they can say to turn people against somebody else because they think it can be a political advantage for them. And somebody's going to lose. And slowly but surely we feel like they're just trying to diminish the voice of life and God in our nation. And we can tell the political environment, they could too. And so their lives were being threatened. They were told to be quiet. They were told not to speak in the name of Jesus. Even when Paul started there, there was that little slave girl who chased around him, just yelling out to everybody who they were and what they were supposed to do. And they wanted to silence them. And they did. In that town, you know, Paul was put in prison. He was locked in stocks because he was sharing Jesus with people. And all these people are being nervous. Paul, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen? We know we're facing things that are not good. We know in the end it's not going to go well. What happens when you get that kind of news? I'm not talking about a country song. But what happens when you get the news that life as you know it is coming to an end? I remember when I got that phone call. From my father. He had already had cancer for a while. He had already had as many surgeries as he could have. He had already taken as much chemo as he could have. And three months after they told him, you can't have any more chemo. Your body just can't take it. We can't keep chasing this, having one surgery after another. Three months later, they did a scan. They found it all over his body. He stage four. And the doctor looked at him and said, put your affairs in order. You don't have but a couple of months to live. That was September 2015. He passed away two weeks ago. God was gracious to my father and to our family, right? But he called me on that day and he was overwhelmed and he was crying. And I'd never heard my dad talk like this before. And he's like, I'm not afraid of death. The death does not scare me. But I've always tried to prepare my emotions for the day that I would hear words like what I just heard. And I'm still overwhelmed. I'm, I'm not prepared for this. And he said, you've never heard me talk like this, have you, Rick? And I'm like, no, Dad, but you know what? We're going to get through it. We're going to do it. It's going to be fine. He's like, I know. And as, as soon as I get my head around the whole situation, I'll be positive. I'll be upbeat. And I'll be... And the next day he was. He said, but for this moment, I just need... To just to sit here with you and talk it out. So we did. When we hung up the phone, I was crying those kind of tears that would not stop coming. And so I just grabbed my keys. I left the office and I took off. Charlie Ward was so gracious to me. He was having football practice over at Washington. And he let me just sit over there and just do nothing and just ball on the sidelines. 
until I said, I need to throw myself into a project. I'm, I don't ever want to forget today. And so, for whatever reason, I said, I'm going to go to a sawmill and buy some wood. I'm going to build a conference table and put it in my office. From now on, I'm going to spend every day with my dad. <clears throat> and so, I went out to the other side of Milton and bought a 14-foot piece of yellow pine that was thick and bark on the edges, cut it in half. And if you were to walk in my office, you'll see a conference table that I built and had a couple of guys help me build it. And, it's in, and I dated it September 2015 underneath. Now, when you get the kind of news that you know, life as I now know it is over, you have one of two choices. Give up. Complain. Fuss at God. Why did you? I can't believe. Or you can say, I'm headed home. My time is short. And I'm going to do everything I can to chase after God with all my heart and take as many people with me as possible. That's where Paul is in the message in Philippians. And so he said, these two things. And look at these two things. There's no matter what, I'm going to rejoice. And no matter what, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be anxious. Now, are you, is that where you are? No matter what kind of news that you would get. You know, can you say, I'm going to rejoice no matter what. And I'm not going to be anxious. And he says at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you know, rejoice in the Lord evermore. Can I say it again? Rejoice. And verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Well, how can I do that? How can I do those two things when I know what I'm facing is less than what I was hoping would happen with my life? So how can I, is it, is it even possible to live a worry-free life? So Paul gives us the answer and he says, this is how you can rejoice and how you, you don't have to be anxious. And he gives us this word picture and it started in chapter 3. So in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he reminds us, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior. And if I'm underlining in my Bible, I'm going to do those next two words from there. We're awaiting a savior from there. We're awaiting a savior who's already in heaven. He's in front of us. He's ahead of us. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so this is the word picture he's given you. We sit in time as the clock ticks, one second after another, we just live life. We don't know what's going to happen in the next second, what's going to happen in the next minute, what's going to happen in the next hour, when we put our head on the pillow at night, when we wake up the next day, if we wake up the next day. We don't, we just live it. And so even though we're caught off guard, with information, even though my dad might go to a doctor appointment and get that kind of news, God's never surprised. How, how is he never surprised? Well, he doesn't live in time like we do. He created time. He sits above it. He sits outside it. And his word tells you, when you were born, I was there. I knitted you together in your mother's womb as I saw fit. I numbered every hair on your head. I counted your days. I know them. I hold them in my hand. And now I'm ahead of you. I'm sitting at the end of your life. The last day of your life, when you breathe your last breath here, 
and your first breath of eternity. God is like, that's where I'm sitting. That's where I am. And from there, I'm bringing you home. I'm, I'm drawing you in. And so you don't have to worry about your life because I'm dictating it. I, I know the path and I know how to help you navigate it. So you don't have to be overwhelmed. Some people get mad at God. Why did you let this happen? Why are you? And God's like, you don't, I didn't tell you everything is going to be beautiful. Everything is going to be wonderful. It's never going to rain in your life. It is. Paul, even in this chapter said, there've been times when I've had plenty and there've been times when I've had nothing. But I've learned in all of those circumstances that I can trust God. And so God is at the end of your life. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's sitting at the end of your life and he is focused on you and is bringing you to him if you'll let him? Now, if you believe in that word picture, then now he wants to give you, typical Paul, he's going to give us two things, but it's going to be a whole bunch of things, right? Here are two things to focus on. One of them is spiritual, one of them is personal. And so I'm going to call them lead and lag measures. Let me tell you where I get it from. I got this book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. This is probably one of the best books that I've read as an organizational book to help us accomplish important goals. And in this book, it says if you focus on four things, you'll accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. The first thing it is, he calls it a wig. You need to have a wildly important goal. Do you have a goal? Is there something for which you live? Now, Paul said, this one thing I do, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to take as many people with me as possible. That's my goal. Okay. So that's what you're going to focus on. What do you need to do to get what you want? And he said, well, I got to focus on important measurements, important measures. And in this book, they call them lag and lead measures. A lag measure is what happens when you do the things you're supposed to do. A lead measure are the things you're supposed to do. I want to lose 10 pounds. A lag measure is after a week, I go and I stand on a scale and it says, you've lost seven pounds, congratulations. It's the result of something that you have already done. Lead measures are, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to stop eating sweets, I'm not going to eat any bread, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And if I do all of those things, then I can predict what will happen. So that's how Paul now writes chapter 4. I'm going to give you two things to do, and I'm going to tell you what you can expect from God in return. So here's the first one. Lead spiritual measures, which is my focus, is chapter 4, verse 6. And in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, don't be, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, and he's going to give you four things. Here's, here's the first thing you need to do. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The first thing you got to do is turn to God. Now, I know there's a lot of things you can turn to. You can turn to anger. You can turn to work. You can turn to finances. I live to build up my bank account. I live to have as many friends as possible. I live to never experience pain. I live to, he says, the first thing you need to do is prayer. Turn to God. If you really want to live a worry-free life, and I got to tell you, man, do we live in a worried society or not? I mean, it's just America, anxiety, the medications for anxiety have gone through the roof. 
I need a pill to go to bed. I need a pill to wake up. I need a pill to calm down. I need a pill to not be. I need, I'm, I'm telling you, we are so over-medicated because we're so worried about so many things. And for whatever reason, this society right now seems to be, in fact, when they did the survey, over 60% of people said they're more worried now than any other time in their life. 60% of people. I'm worried and it's paralyzing me. And Paul is like, you don't have to be worried. God is in control. He's at the end of your life. He's bringing you home. All you have to do is turn to him. Just turn to God. And this word supplication, I used the New King James, you know, uh, 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 scripture uh, translation on purpose because we just don't use this word anymore in our society. And it's like supplication with prayers and supplication. What is sub- supplication is the spirit, the attitude, the heart behind my prayer. And it, it, it includes making requests to God, but it's really the way that you make the request to God. Supplication means it has all of your heart, all of your emotions, all of your energy. It means that I humble myself for God and I earnestly plead to God. All I want is you and I give him everything that I have. I'm making this earnest plea. God, I'm I'm turning toward you in prayer, but I'm doing it with everything I have. I don't want any of my energy going to anything else that I think can bring me life except you. And I do it with a grateful heart. A spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you for everything, Lord God. When my dad, I think I told you this last week, when he did that night of prayer with my daughter uh, over at Madison Church in Nashville, and it was two years ago when he did this, he'd had his cancer for over three years, and they did this night of prayer, and they had five stations, and one of the stations was, you know, Thanksgiving. And so my sister was in charge of that station, and so they had a bunch of Jenga pieces, Jenga puzzle pieces right in a pen. And you were supposed to get one of those pieces and write down something that you were thankful for and you were going to offer that up to God. And she said, I watched Dad write his puzzle piece. I saw where he put it. And when he walked away, I went and stole it. And I looked at it and it said, God, I'm thankful for my cancer. It brought me closer to you. Can you even in tough situations be thankful, be grateful for the Spirit of God pulling you, drawing you home. And make your requests known to God. This word request, it really just comes from one Greek word that means face to face with God. I'm going to make my request. It's like, God, can I, can I just come and talk to you? God, can we sit down for a moment and just talk? And it's like you just get face to face with God. And, and, and it's like God all, God, all He wants, Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And it's like, Dad, can I just talk with you for a minute? And just face to face, you just tell God everything on your heart. And when you do that, here's the lag measure. Here's what God gives you. It's number two on your outline. This God's blessing comes to you and it's in verse seven. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God's like, I will comfort you with such overwhelming peace. You won't be able to explain it. You'll go through things that are really difficult, 
But you'll have such peace, you'll be okay. You'll know that I am with you. To me, that is just, that's beautiful. The last thing that Paul says do is, I want to, he says, I want to give you something to focus on. So the first one is, I just need you to turn to God with all your heart. Pour yourself out before him with a thankful spirit. And the peace of God will, God's like, I will give you my peace. By the way, peace is not just a word. It's not even an emotion. Peace is a real spirit. And that spirit can, I'm going to use spiritual language, fall on you. The, spirit, the peace of God will come on you. He'll send that spirit to minister to you. And, and people will ask you, how are you making it through such a difficult time? And you'll say, I couldn't if it weren't for God. If it weren't for the peace of God, right? And, and, and you might not even be able to explain it, but God says, it's a promise. I'll do it. Now, what is the next thing I need to focus on? So in Philippians 4, 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praiseworthy things, then meditate on these things. And it's like, Paul is just like trying to get it all in in one verse of scripture. If we were smart, we would do a whole sermon series just on every one of those. And we would focus on them one at a time. And I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but this is what Paul is saying. What I really need you to do, if you really want to give God your whole heart, if you really want to focus on the things of heaven, if God is really drawing you home, here's what you focus on. Number one, focus on honesty. Tell the truth. Whatever is true, you focus on that. Stop having your secrets. Stop giving, you know, half-truths. Hey, white liar, the truth comes out a little at a time. I can't even sing it right. Miranda Lambert can sing it really well. But just, can you, do, do we even have the courage to just simply tell the truth? And he's like, man, I need you to focus on the truth. And then the next two words go together. What is noble and what is, and what is just. So what is just means that you're just paying your fair due. If I said I owe it, then I'm going to pay it. If I tell you I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll walk with integrity. And then being noble is just doing the right thing. I'm just going to go do the right thing. It's the right thing for me to do this. It's the right thing for me to do whatever is the right thing. Just He's like, what? focus on doing the right thing. And keeping your word, even if you have to suffer for it. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, just do it. And then, whatever is pure. You focus on, yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know why I did. And, and uh, my wife is such, she's so gracious. But when I was young, I, I loved just, you know, I'm not good at remembering jokes. But I would always make shady everything. You know, something would be said and I'd make a joke. And it's like... Ooh, is that, is he alluding to something that's, what is that? And, and I would even, I thought it was fun, you know, to even make jokes and let my wife be at the expense of the joke. I don't, I don't ever want to do that. I don't, I don't want to turn something shady, something you know, that's not pure. I don't, somebody can say something and I don't want to end them with, that's what she said. I don't want to, why do that? And I was like, well, can, you keep, can you even keep your mind on things that are pure? 
or is it in you just to turn everything a little dirty? So I just keep, just keep things pure and lovely. Lovely is such a soft word for I want our friendship to grow. I want love to grow. I want kindness to grow. When you think about me, I want you to think, man, you know what? That relationship just keeps getting better and better. I want to focus on things that just, that, that just seem right. And, that, and I'm, going to the, I'm going to the little extra measures to just do things that just make you smile and say thank you. Just things that are lovely. If it's anything that's a good report, whatever it is that can create a good name or good credit, trustworthiness, think about that. Do something so that when your name comes up, people say, that's a good, she's such a fine woman, or that's a good man. You can trust them. Live that way. And then things that are virtuous, virtuous is another word for excellent. Just pursue excellence. Don't halfway do something. If you're going to do it, do it. And, and put your, if your name is going to be attached to it, then just do it right. Go the second mile. You know what I'm saying? Just do it right. And then praiseworthy. Just encourage people. If anybody deserves credit or they deserve honor or something deserves recognition and, and praise God and just praise the people around you. Just say thank you every once in a while. Have a grateful heart. Let people know how, how much you honor them, love them and support them. That's a lot of stuff, Paul. Yes, it is. You can see he's just trying to get it all in. And so he's asking you, well, which, part, which one of those do you struggle with the most? Choose one and get started because heaven's too important and you don't want to miss it. And if you'll do it, here are the lag measures. Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do, I, you'll be able to do anything. But, and Paul brought before that, he said, I know what it's like to have a lot and I know what it's like to have nothing. It doesn't matter what happens to you, you'll get through it. No matter what, you'll get through it. And then verse 19, he gives you a promise. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And my God will take care of you. And he'll supply not just some of your needs, not just most of your needs, but all your needs. According to his, not just riches, but glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You won't lack anything. Those people who are being persecuted... If Paul wrote this letter around 62 AD, 64, 65 AD, Christians started being persecuted. They created these arenas instead of just doing sport and just south of them over in Greece. They were doing what's come to be known now as our Olympics. But at that time, it was gladiator stuff and they would bring in all these Christians and they would say, they're trying to live for something. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't honor Caesar. They honor someone else named Jesus Christ. And they're creating all this fraction, all this, you know. And so they started bringing in these Christians and they just started killing them for sport. Within two years when Paul wrote this, these same Christians that he's writing to are being arrested and killed for sport. And they would have these big arenas and they would be full. Over the next 30 to 40 years, thousands of Christians were killed. One ruler, one Caesar, brought in in a four-day period in this region and killed over, documented, 11,000 Christians for sport. But the people who were up in the stands 
it's been recorded in history that a bunch of them just watching how the Christians handled it, that no matter what, they still praised God and they didn't worry about what would happen. And so they could openly say, Father, forgive them. And into your hands I give my spirit. And the people watching from the bleachers were so overwhelmed at the noble character of the Christians that they made a decision, a lot of them, some of them, to give their life to God. And people who once cheered them on and their death ended up becoming Christians themselves. Sometimes they said those people would jump out of the stands and go and cover the Christians with their own bodies, giving up their life to save those who live for something greater. Okay, I want to live like that. I want to live with a noble character. I want to live that something that honors God. So no matter what comes in my life, I'm living for something greater. Don't you want the same thing? 